Future Blue, making green waves. The, uh, the tape's running, Alexis. Does that mean we're doing another podcast? We are doing another podcast. Who's joining us today? Well, we have got actually someone that I went to business school with in France in the Champagne region, very nice region. About Must have 12... been tough. <laughs> so tough. Um, about 12 years ago. And he comes from the whole way from Italy, although currently lives in Germany. He is the founder of a purpose-driven agency called Purpose House, which is a collection of experts in sustainability marketing strategy that basically help companies define their purpose and then work out how to activate their purpose through their communications. It's an area that's growing enormously. His name is Vito, or Vittorio Cerulli, and it's just so wonderful to be connected with him again after so long. This is why you've invited him along as our guest. He is. He's, he just believes so much in this. And I, to give a bit more backdrop, the reason for this episode, this is all around the power of purpose. You're probably starting to see that people are starting to corral for businesses no longer just being there to make profit. They've got to be there for force for good. They've got to be doing so much more in the world than just driving profit. And this is where company purpose comes in. If you don't have a clear mission statement that does something more than just drive profit, then how on earth are you going to have focus on where you're going to put your efforts? Well, it's time for us to chat to him then. And let's ask Vito that first all-important question. Vito, tell us about yourself. I am Vito and I am the founder of Purpose House. Purpose House is a collective of business insights, um, strategy and sustainability experts that help companies to define their purpose and activate it across everything they do, uh, how they live and uh, what they say. Succinct and to the point, that's lovely. Vito, when did you realize that purpose was the key to instilling good business? For me, it actually started when I was helping out my father in his family-owned business in Rome and he always had a very clear sense of purpose for his business which was to you know deliver high quality products uh, so high quality tasty bread and also serving the community that always happened very you know spontaneously with by either offering shelters to homeless people from the area they needed a place to, to rest or even employing some of the local gypsy that didn't have a job and he was giving them small tasks to feel part of something so they could realize what was the power of purpose mm. uh, but then i've seen it uh, um, happening as well in, in big corporations like unilever for example and that's where also i saw especially the purpose transformation how you see that a brand or a business can move from just selling stuff to having a purpose yeah. and my job at Unilever was about <laughs> uh, helping uh, brands across categories to define and embed purpose into their business. So I've seen the transformation from not having to having one and the effect that uh, define and activating their purpose had on the, the life and the jobs of mm. people that were part of those teams. And that's at the core, the very heart of clearly what you're now doing and what you have been doing. And you reference on your website, you're very proud of and, and connected to the Madagascan vanilla bean farmers. That is about, at first hand, seeing the difference a sense of purpose can deliver to a community. To see the real impact, eventually, of a purposeful business on, on the lives of people, 
Um, that's why I decided to to go in, in Madagascar and and work with uh, vanilla farmers to really understand what meant to be part of a sustainable development programs versus not being part of one. I really trying to immerse myself in their lives um, because I knew that they were part of a, of, a, of, a, of a sustainable development program to understand really what is the difference in the everyday lives if if you are part of such a initiative versus if you are just a regular farmer. So it's really trying to understand eventually what does sustainable development to the life of people that are part of it. Mm. And until you actually at least see some of it firsthand, it's hard to be close to some of the cause and effect that a sense of purpose can give you. What kind of things would you say businesses could do? How do they go about actually starting to see business as a force of good? I think uh, we, we live in a society right now where there are a lot of problems, tensions, challenges, and businesses can play a big role in, in tackling. They, they are already immersed into the system, so they are already part either of the problem or of the solution or both. Yeah. So um, it's not even about deciding to take or not to take actions. If you think you're not you don't, you're not taking action, you're actually already part of it somehow. So what, what they can do is, I think, you know, from social to environmental problems, to a combination of both, and the beauty of purpose, it, that gives you that clarity mm. to... And that requires business leaders to lead, but also to understand their impact on the, the whole, on the community as well as their shareholders. People often think environmental only. Social impact, as you've already said, is, is equally important. What can be achieved if you find a purpose that embeds both of those at the very core? Uh, and I'm wondering here if there's perhaps something from your time with Business Fights Poverty that we could learn from that area. I think the environmental and social aspects of sustainability are deeply intertwined and uh, they are connected. Just to give you an example, the plastic pollution in oceans is uh, it's obviously an environmental problem because it affects uh, the, um, the biodiversity as well of the marine species yeah. at the same time it has a big impact on fishing f uh, communities on the coast especially mm. for developing countries because all their nets uh, get full of plastic and they cannot fish you know um, enough for them to to sustain their families and their business. They are the most affected socially by this environmental threat crisis. So hmm. it, it, often when you look at an environmental problem, there is links to it, a social problem. So it's really hard to differentiate the two. Again, we come back to this leadership issue, and I think you and I have agreed on that it does require strong leadership to get a sense of purpose. But how do companies come up with that clarity of purpose? How, how do you go about doing something like that? Yeah, the leadership is essential, almost prerequisite to be ready to start the journey. Then in terms of what to do, we usually look at with, with a business, three sides of a business role in society. The first is the business side of things. What does the business stand for? Yeah. Why the business started in the first place? And, and what are some of the values that the people working for this business have. Then we look as well at society and what are the tensions that we see 
today, these days, um, from social inequalities mm. to gender balance, etc. And there are a lot of different tangents because, the, as I said, maybe your founders as, as a business had a purpose in the beginning of the century or Indeed. whatever. But now society have, have evolved and uh, especially um, post-pandemic, mm. or uh, we, we have to look at what are the problems that we see right now. So you need to look at that side of things as well to mm. actualize what's your purpose, mm. to make it relevant to the 2020, otherwise at risk of being irrelevant. And then the, the third aspect is people's life every day, how you can connect your purpose to their struggles that they have. So mm. it's not just relevant to society as a whole, mm. but also plays a role in people's lives. Mm. If I may, perhaps Vito, I could just ask then, if the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals, would they be relevant? Would they be something that business leaders could uh, look at and to, to use, perhaps as a, a way of finding a framework uh, for a sense of purpose? I think they are, they are essential. Um, the Sustainable Development Goals are a great summary or what are the key issues and tensions that we, we should focus on mm. as a community and as businesses. Then you really have to bring in your own unique angle then as a business to find your unique take on some of those challenges so you make them your own, mm. right? And it's yeah. not just a, doing good, a generic doing <laughs> good activity. Yeah. It's got to be relevant uh, and, uh, and sustainable and it's got to deliver something. Yeah, exactly. And also it should closely be linked to the reason why that business exists. These are also evolving their traditional um, CSR model. So and what I'd be interested yeah. to know from you, Vito, is one or two really clear benefits for following this course of action, this, this route to success of purpose. Well, uh, you mentioned the fo- selling it to your team, and, and I think that's really important because eventually I think real... In innovation comes from difficult challenges and throughout my experience in corporate teams being swamped with boring tasks and mm. uh, annoying challenges which could be relevant obviously from a business perspective or oh, like oh you need to increase your standout on shelf for yes. example if yes. you are uh, with some design tweaks or whatever and then you see that the team is not excited about these challenges or doesn't really move them much mm. whereas purpose and tackling social tensions can really bring mm. something that get people up in the morning excited to go to work because they have something complicated and wicked to, to solve and to tackle. Mm. I work on a, on a project that uh, right. one of the world leader <laughs> toilet manufacturing, they were giving a challenge from the, the Gates Foundation around tackling uh, sanitation uh-huh. and bring sanitation in rural communities in Africa and in India where people don't have a toilet at all mm. and they cannot afford one because they don't have the sewage and piping system so they cannot build those from scratch and this creates a lot of problem in terms of uh, health uh, both for children as well for adults and agriculture I was given this challenge and uh, and all the engineers team up together to come up with a solution of a 
very cheap, simple, yet uh, effective toilets that could be sold eventually uh, to different communities around the world, but at a very affordable price. They were very excited about this challenge and and they were really motivated to work on it, Um, thinking about the the experience of teams that are transitioning to a more purpose-led type Mm. of business. This this passion and this innovation that is released in in the people, in, in the teams, is a big thing that you can really feel. Hey, listen, you're selling this to me, okay? I'm getting them the motivation, uh, the cause, the impetus, all those things that go to make up purpose. Uh, I'm getting a sense of that from you. And, and then there's that interesting link, the link between purpose and sustainability, because there clearly is, uh, and there should be, a link between those two. Well, uh, yes, absolutely. I think by definition, purpose doesn't have to be sustainable, especially in, in 2020 in re- redefining the goals and, and of, of your organization if it's not to tackle social environmental tension. You really mm. risk then of being irrelevant. You know? yes. so, so the two things have to come together to really make sure that uh, um, you have a, a principle that is powerful and mm. also dedicated to, mm. to solve the right challenges. And let's be honest about this. This is not going to happen overnight. This is not a quick fix in any way, shape or form. You need to be determined and you, you need to have the resolve to see this through. Yeah, it takes time. However, it, it, there are simple, um, which doesn't mean easy, but simple steps that you, you can take that bring you on the road on, and then start your journey. I assure you that when you start, you just want more and more because it's, again, it's full your passion for business, your, mm. it rejuvenates the role that you have in society because you start being relevant again. Yeah. It can bring a lot of value in society. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Vito. Well, I want to thank you and Alex for giving me and us the opportunity to share what we do and, and what we believe on. So thank you very much, really. What did I tell you, Kerry? He another was... person from Unilever. He is another man from Unilever. Unilever for a large organization seem pretty agile they're amazing they're they're a fascinating organization and, and considering they have thousands of people working in them they have about thirty thousand companies in their supply chain and yet their agility to move especially towards sustainability is unbelievable there's certainly some very strong messages there i've learned so much from all these podcasts but particularly from these people who've been inside the corporate world and then able to take the interest, the area that really passionately interests them, and take that out and to carry on, almost like the disciples following the leader, take those messages out to, to other people. He leads us very nicely on to our next two guests. And you really wanted these people that we've got lined up uh, to talk to us. Yes, I was so desperate to get these people on board. Firstly because it was just so amazing to find organisations within the marine industry that actually are driven by purpose. And it's just really rare to find. You'll understand when you hear about them, but they're cool brands. And so without further ado, let's introduce you to these next two guests. So first up is Anne-Cecile Turner, who is the Sustainability Director for the Ocean Racer, a passionate sailor in her own right, been out on the sea enough to understand Uh, that it is an amazing space, but also a challenged and polluted space. And she has a a real clear vision that sport has the power to do something about 
influencing this. So after many jobs in sports marketing, media and events and communications, she set up her own consultancy to help other organisations in their journey for sustainability and integration, which will lead us on to uh, the guest after that, because it ties in very nicely. And our second guest on today's podcast is Jill Savory, who is the sustainability director for a company called 11th Hour Racing. More of which from her in a moment, and she'll tell us who 11th Hour Racing are. But she's been working for them for over seven years, and prior to that also has a big sailing background uh, connected with no less than the America's Cup in San Francisco, where she was their very first head of sustainability. Sport has always been a big part of her life. In fact, she is a former Olympian herself in the swimming world, not the sailing world. But her passion for both sustainability and for sport came together in this amazing career that she now has, that is now quite commonplace all over the world, as we know. But actually, of course, it didn't used to be. So let's start with Anne-Cecile Turner. Anne-Cecile, thank you for joining us. Yes, hi, thank you for inviting me. Let's start then, Anne-Cecile, with the ocean race and the purpose behind it, because there is always a purpose, but none more so with the ocean race, is there? There's something really defining about it. Yeah, I think the organization has, from the start, 73. It's almost 50 years. We felt that our scope uh, of work and our playground had a bigger purpose. It was challenged and it came not only because of our responsibility, but also because of the innovation platform that it can represent. Mm. So that our purpose is ocean health and to accelerate ocean health restoration. And we felt that we realized the potential influence that a global sports event could have mm. in actually realizing that purpose. Because you don't have to. That's the point with this. It's nobody's telling you to do this. It's clearly driven with, from within and often driven from the front. Is that what's happened here? Absolutely. And I think it, it came from all the angles. But when I joined the organization last time, there was already a green team gathering all the sustainability initiatives and uh, management was very concerned as well. And uh, the media attention mm. started to get high on ocean plastic pollution. So it's not at all peer pressure. It's more about the realization of our influence, really, mm. and the fantastic innovation and engagement platform that it can represent. Not only that, but also the possibility to create real change, mm. to go beyond our core values, be beyond our core purpose, to actually push a little bit the boundaries around us. And, and when you're in a position to be able to do that, it's almost a moral obligation upon us, I think, now. But there's that growing realisation that clearly you're influencing a lot of people through what you're doing. And that was an amazing thing to see, that we almost created a movement, mm. first to start with our organisation, but then engaging the stakeholders, it was really the idea of how are we going to make sure that all the stakeholders that we can engage are actually engaged in the proper manner, from the fans to the host cities up to the top-level partners, uh, NGOs. And it was a really good feeling for the staff, for the team, for all those working around the area, but also larger impact is the ocean and, and its restoration, for sure. And that's the bottom line. There seems to be, from the research that we've been doing, there seems to be so many initiatives uh, that have come off the back of you deciding your purpose in this manner. How did you then start embedding some of those initiatives within the ocean race itself? 
Well, we embedded the in the after the race in the reporting. We also use the race as a platform to shine for all the partners, for the sailing teams doing great work. We use the Ocean Race Summits as a showcase for sustainable innovation, uh, for commitments and best practice. And we also use the very strong promotion and communication plan built in a legacy plan with our host cities to understand how this program and purpose have changed their way to operate mm. and uh, how we can do even better next time. So yeah. it was really f from all the angles of the organization. And we'll come back to that referencing of learning as we go along. But there's something about learning as we go and feeding it back in. You've referenced there a few times now about the partners. Uh, clearly, you, you can't operate, you can't run events like this without them. How do you help get them into you and align them with your purpose? How do you go about choosing them? Was there a set of criteria that you followed? Well, it should be a luxury to be able to choose the partners. It's not always the, the way it's You'd done. Like <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is for the first time of the event of the race, the partners have joined us. So the first one, obviously, you've mentioned 11th Hour Racing. They were a founding partner of our sustainability yeah. program, and they've been an amazing partner as a support to not only create the impact, but help us pushing the boundaries constantly to integrate sustainability within all the organizations. And then, step by step, after having seen the value of the program alongside of the race, partners wanted to join. Yes. And the funny thing is that we've involved institutions such as UN Environment, we've involved additional foundations, we've involved brands. Mm -hmm. So all these new lines of funding and new aspects of partnership have been instrumental for the success of this program and who could have imagined that 50 years ago a bit of management speak you talk about stopping doing something in order to be able to do something else are there any things that you've had to stop doing uh, from previous races in order to align with this new sense of purpose this new direction of travel yes a lot as you can imagine <laughs> if we are you know trying to succeed in this journey we need to completely rethink the way we operate from the designing itself of the event to the sourcing code, to the logistics, the planning, the communication. And it, it came with some constraints. It's about communication. So I think it's interesting for people to know how you communicated your sense of purpose to all your stakeholders, the, the people doing the sailing, the partner suppliers to ensure that everybody was on board and also perhaps learn from any of the barriers that you might have come across on, on that initial journey. Yeah, and as you say, communication is key. It's actually our core DNA. It's the basis of our business model, and that's where the opportunity uh, lies. The idea was really to communicate the positives, the engagement, to communicate about what people could do at, at all the layers. And the idea was to really take each stakeholder and provide them the resource to be able to communicate and to be engaged with a pledges to sign, with sustainability training sessions for the sailing teams, with films and movies and host cities were very creative as well in engaging all the fans and visitors with um, ocean life festivals, for example. Yeah. When you've invented something, you want to keep on passing that invention out. Otherwise, all we're doing is re recycling the wheel. We know it's round. So giving people that toolkit sounds a really good idea. And what benefits has that purpose now brought to the ocean race, to the companies, do you think? Well, it's a long journey. We felt that the benefits came from different angles. It was creating new stories, 
new way to reach new audiences as well. So the storytelling yeah. around the program, the science mm-hmm. on board programs, raising the profile of the skippers as well, communicating, the, collecting global maps of ocean health and microplastic pollution mm. allowed us to you know, create a great uh, new media content. So of course, a communication impact, also a sense of achievement within mm, all the teams, within yeah. the staff motivation. I mean, we did a lot of feedback loops after the race and uh, to feel that uh, the whole organization has a sense of purpose around mm. the ocean is great. Yeah. But also commercial and sponsorship, mm. sailing team engagements, where now they are not only because of us, but partly. They, are, they were at the end of the race, nobody could walk across the race village with a plastic bottle in his hands. You know, he would be pointed at by the other one. <laughs> and there is a really good example uh, of a cultural change that you've in, in helped to manage. And I think that's absolutely brilliant. And clearly there are elements that you've had to put in place to continue, as you talked about here, about recycling uh, the ideas, making sure that they're fit for purpose. But how do you put in place the elements to continue your aim? Because you guys are really showing the way to how you can actually have a sustainable event at the top of the marine world. It's now hardwired into all our contracts, which Mm. was not the case previously, which is really helping us. So host cities, delivery partners, race partners, the teams, even the staff, even our suppliers. So mm. it's like we are raising the bar in terms of integration of this sustainability thinking. And from the last race, we're really setting higher level of expectations where the maturity level of our stakeholders is growing yeah. with us. We're facing different cultures, obviously, within the race, and we Indeed. are really happy to, to be used as a resource and as a support team to bring everybody on board, even to bring a little bit of competition around it, maybe. Um, <laughs> why not? But also, uh, why not? After all, it's a race. We need the acceleration. But we're also growing the, the science of behavior change and the sustainability experience that we want to, to create on-site for the race fans. So yeah. there's a, the education program. We're now entering a secondary uh, schools. So there's lots of areas where we can grow and maybe also reach the advocacy level so from science to advocacy how are we going to make sure that all the program we're creating all the great content we're creating has a useful destination in the ocean health restoration you can actually see what it is you can quantify the, the change that's happened what would your tips be to a company starting out on that journey first i would say find your own cause that is totally related with the dna of your organization it has to be an authentic yes. journey, yes, impact-driven. Mm. So when it's done for the wrong reasons, it's not as successful yeah. as if it's really holistic. And the last one will be really from the top, so management integration, but at the heart of the organization, yeah. with the integration being spreading all around the organization. That would be very important. Excellent. Some really good tips there. And it's often the case, talking to those that have already been engaged with and, and are engaging with this kind of event uh, and learning from the success that they've had, which segues us nicely across uh, to 11th Hour Racing. And Jill Savory joins us today. And Jill, welcome to today's podcast. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. The 11th Hour Racing, just a, a little bit of background, who and what they are. Sure. 11th Hour Racing was started 10 years ago by co-founders Wendy Schmidt, Jeremy Potchman, and Rob McMillan. And we're an international organization, and we create really strategic partnerships in the sailing and maritime communities to promote 
collaborative and systemic change that benefits the health of our ocean. That is our mission. And we do this in three main areas. One is sponsorships with sporting entities like the Ocean Race. Another area is grants to nonprofits in the area of ocean health. And third, we work with ambassadors who are respected individuals in their own right in the, the sailing and maritime communities to further our mission in their networks. So how have you helped, do you think, the Ocean Race achieve their purpose? So the relationship and the collaboration and, and true partnership with the Ocean Race started in the spring of 2017 during the last edition of the race. And our sponsorship model is really unique. We are not a traditional sports sponsor. We do not sell a product or service. Mm. Our return on investment is impact in ocean health. And so this partnership came around at a really wonderful and interesting time for both organizations. Right. We were able to come together and start this collaboration as a founding partner of the sustainability program. Mm, that's the key. And yeah. as a sponsor and this collaborative partner, we demand environmental leadership. Mm -hmm. And as Anne Cecile mentioned, it takes an organization uh, like the Ocean Races to really adopt and embed sustainability and this principle of ocean health into the organization itself. Yeah. We would yeah. not sponsor or partner with an organization that didn't have that ethos. Mm -hmm. We are a, a very active partner, not a passive one. So that return on investment for us is driving impact for the ocean. And, and that from where we're sitting for this podcast today, it's almost like the ocean race and 11th hour racing. It was like you joined at the hip. That's just, it had to be that partnership. It just fitted on every level, didn't it? Absolutely. It has been a, a great journey Everything was not achieved overnight. We're at a great point. The last edition of the race, which was called the Volvo Ocean Race, they received many sustainability awards. So it was this journey and really success in the end that brought us back to the table for another edition of the race. There's many initiatives on the table that we're working towards to create an even bigger impact and an even more collaborative partnership to lead the way in this space, really. And clearly, you've also got a sponsored boat within the race, obviously called 11th Hour Racing. What kind of measures <laughs> have you installed on that boat to ensure it hits your levels, your high watermarks of sustainability? Absolutely. So in the last edition of the race, we were um, a, a co-sponsor of Vestas 11th Hour Racing. And now that team is 11th Hour Racing team. And it is led by American offshore sailors, Charlie Enright and Mark Towell. So we've okay. had a, a multi-year partnership with them as well. And the team's mission is to win the ocean race <laughs> with sustainability at the core of all of its operations. Yeah. So one of the things that 11th Hour Racing is really important to us is showing that sustainability is not separate from a mm. performance mission. It's mm. embedded and it makes yeah. you stronger. And the team and the oceans, they're both showing that this is possible through a number of achievements. And the team itself has an extensive sustainability plan, really embedding sustainability in everything they're doing, from operational aspects of being carbon positive and zero waste and water yeah. neutral in their operations, to looking at how they're building their racing yacht, using life cycle assessment to determine yeah. the impact, and also sharing knowledge on areas such as boat building and becoming more sustainable and technological innovations and life cycle assessment. A really big component of the team's mission is to 
share learning so everyone improves. And that is an idea as well that is becoming more commonplace is Mm -hmm. understanding that while everyone competes on the field of play, in this case in the ocean, sailing, sustainability does not have to be that competitive top secret aspect. We can all share, grow and learn together all to benefit the ocean. Um, So they have a, a really comprehensive plan and we are absolutely collaborative partners as well with the team. You've highlighted a couple of examples there, and clearly there's that whole issue about with sustainability, as you say, and, and quite rightly you've said it a few times now about this isn't a big secret. We're not trying to hide where we're winning. You're trying to show uh, and share some of those wins. Do you have any other examples, perhaps, Jill, of where you're able to share some of the things that you're working on uh, are actually getting across those messages and demonstrating proof positive that sustainability through mission is possible? Well, I think one example certainly is in the last edition of the race that by the end of the race, many of the teams, the sailors themselves, had learned about various aspects of ocean health, had participated in the ocean summits that were held alongside the race and continue to do. And really, although they were already passionate about the ocean, that is their playing ground, they really became advocates for ocean health in various different ways that spoke to them. And I think that's one example of the success of showing that together we can make change and together we can promote ocean health and you can still win on the field of play. It's a great example because we all know ambassadors get it across in a much better way without selling it. They're just living it, breathing it and talking about it. So from the work 11th Hour Racing does, what's been the biggest challenge in terms of driving brands and consumers uh, to become more sustainable, both in the way they act and think? It took many years for sailing organizations to understand the opportunity they have to engage and achieve change on and off the water. Mm. And I think that has been absolutely solidified in organizations like the Ocean Race. It's, as we just spoke about, it's taken a little time for sailors and sailing teams to change the lens they view the event and and their role as ambassadors, as leaders in sustainability and ocean health. So that's taken a little bit of time. And it doesn't take away from peak performance. It can enhance Mm. peak performance. So this concept through our work of showing with our partners this integrated approach Um, has taken time, but I think you can see from the success that the Ocean Race and others we partner with have achieved that is working. How are you measuring that impact? Because you're actually saying the ROI's impact on ocean ocean health. And how are you doing on that ROI? So one of the things that has developed over time is measuring success. And um, we work with our partners to develop key metrics and those are outlined and identified in each organization's sustainability plan. So the Ocean Race has a very comprehensive sustainability plan with key metrics and targets that we measure over time. I mean, even the Ocean Summits, which are now virtual, we've got key metrics that are measured. We review them at the end of whatever event is happening and we talk about successes, we talk about what we can do better. And so the metrics have to do with engagement, how many people were engaged. It has to do with action, what happened, what action was taken Mm -hmm. Um, from an event operation standpoint, things like measuring carbon and waste and water and 
all kinds of things related to sourcing and food. Everything you can think of, we have developed key performance indicators, we've developed targets, and those are measured very extensively. It takes a lot of time and effort, mm. and those are reviewed. And we also ask our partners to develop a sustainability report and share that publicly at the end of whatever annual cycle or event is taking place. The bit that I found really interesting, because I come across this in other industries as well, is the sharing of knowledge with the 11th hour racing boat building going on and design work and saying that actually this is not an area to compete on. If anything, you need to open source this information. Firstly, how are other teams responding to this knowledge? Are they trying to get involved as well because they feel they need to give something back? And I think leading on from that is, have you actually started to publicize that knowledge to boat builders outside of the race, so people that make leisure boats, their learnings coming out that actually are becoming open source? Well, that's an example of the expanded scope of our work. So we started with the question of our industry uh, and uh, we've gathered uh, the whole supply chain of a boat building just as, a, as an initial workshop and we felt you know, the interest of 11th hour racing and also the interest of the industry to actually put the house together and, and go on the journey. And then we had another much more uh, wider innovation workshop on the back of the um, Ocean Summit we organized in Genoa. Where it mm. was a sustainable building workshop, gathering a group of organizations in order to design a roadmap for action. And that uh, came with a report that is open source, totally publicly available. Yeah. And uh, we're intending to have a series of, of those to actually gather best practice share knowledge and work when we have an issue uh, together to, to come up with a plan to actually integrate sustainability across the whole chain of boat building. That's We're also uh, in, involving um, other industries such as automotive industry that can help us with a very collaborative approach. I've got to say, Alexis, what fascinating, fabulous and insightful guests we had today. Yeah, really insightful and... And hopefully giving you a real sort of like variety and, and a lot of things to think about, actually. We've got people from within the industry and from outside the industry really driving this purpose forward and the reason why or every company should have it. And here you have a, a company sponsoring an ocean race who themselves don't make, produce or make anything happen in that regard. But they're changing the world as we look at it. That's that's pretty powerful, and, and that's got to be a call for other people who have foundations like this to be able to make a tangible difference. And they're as passionate about it as you are about passion, about sustainability, and about making a difference. But those guys, they really are genuinely producing uh, a support that is unique. I think it also clarifies again: it's just the power of partnerships. Together. You can achieve so much more. And if you have the same goals and objectives, it's amazing what actually can be done. And I think that's almost the big message with this in many respects off the back of this. It's been an incredible journey. The series of podcasts that we've produced so far started in many ways with the message that David Attenborough set out when he set out with the Blue Planet and started inspiring people to look at the planet in a different way. And not only how it is today or in five years' time, but how it could be in 10 to 15 to 20 years' time if we don't do something now. That's a pretty strong series of messages. And I hope this series of podcasts, as it has for 
I think for us and yeah. for you, has given us a, a rare insight into those that are making a difference, are putting resources, time, effort, money uh, into making a difference today. Yes, and I just hope this is only the starting point. I hope this grows exponentially and that companies feel inspired to actually want to make a difference and to want to build sustainability into their strategies and start being forces for good. Absolutely. Great series, more to come. I'm Kerry Herford-Jones. And I'm Alexis Eyre. You've been listening to Future Blue. Keep making green waves. Future Blue, making green waves. Directed by Alexis Eyre and produced by Kerry Herford-Jones.